Umphrey Karras Podcast, episode 038. You're seen to chat about life, family, and of course, Umphrey's McGee. I'm your host, Sarah Jehemiak, writer, journalist, author, first solo female podcast host in the jam music scene, mom of three, wife, and total Umphrey. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the pod. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode, which featured the first part in a series of interviews with fellow ump freaks talking all about their ump love. If you did not check that out, make sure that you do. It was very awesome talking with my friend Aliana about her journey to finding ump and how they've helped inspire her in her personal life. There is a link in the show notes where you can check it out. And before we dive into this week's episode, recently announced Umphreys will be appearing at the inaugural 4848 Festival at Snowshoe Mountain in West Virginia, July 11th through 13th. Also playing that weekend, Green Sky Bluegrass, Lettuce, Railroad Earth, and the infamous String Dusters, and a whole bunch more bands. There is a link in the show notes if you are interested in finding out more about this brand new festival. All right, so let's dive into this week's episode. The band recently played for the first time ever at Brooklyn Steel in Brooklyn, New York. This venue that holds 1,800 opened on April 6, 2017, and in 2018 was named one of the 10 best live music venues in America by Rolling Stone magazine. I will link that article in the show notes because there are some other venues that Umphreys plays at on this list. Uh, Red Rocks, The Ryman, Stubbs, 930 Club, and First Avenue in Minneapolis are just a few. This venue, originally used as a steel manufacturing plant, was very nice. The first night they did not have the upper balcony open, I heard that the venue needed to sell um, a thousand tickets to have that part open, but they only sold something over 800 on the first night, so that top part was not open night one. We were able to get a spot the first night right behind Waffle, and that was a really great spot. It's a lot of fun watching Waffle work, too. You know, watching him move around to the music and, you know, really get into it and be, you know, so laser focused that he is during the show. It was very, very cool. Night two and three, the balcony was open and we were right up there dead center, which I read was the best spot in the house. And I would absolutely have to agree with that. We could see everything amazingly well. It sounded really great in the room all three nights. The bathrooms were all downstairs, which was a little inconvenient, but not a very long walk down a flight of stairs to get to them. And there were so many stalls in the women's bathroom, like 40 or something, I think, that I never had to wait at all in and out super quickly. And the bathroom attendants were really, really friendly. The one lady, night two, I went in there, ran in there really quick to go to the bathroom and, you know, run out back to the show. And the woman in there is singing to, I think she had like Brandy or Monica on, you know, from the 90s. And she's just belting it out and she's, you know, killing it. She's got this amazing voice and it was just so cool to, you know, kind of experience that. The men's urinals, 
fun fact, were black. I did not see them, uh, but, you know, I had some friends tell me, and I thought that was pretty cool. Apparently, if you have not heard, and I don't know, um, you know, if you're on the interwebs, there's no way you did not hear about this. But apparently on night three, the women's bathroom was visited by some naked dude trying to scale the walls and saying that he wanted his lawyer. I did not see this in person, but I've seen the photo and the countless, countless hilarious memes that have popped up in the days following this run. I just, I can't even begin to you know, describe these memes that I've seen. One of the best ones I've seen is the one with Trey, you know, at the end where he's got the plastic bag and he's just like looking up and, you know, they put it into this guy scaling the wall and it's just absolutely hilarious. There's so many good ones. It's just, it's, it's funny. Um, I don't have any details about exactly what this dude was on, but He definitely had too much too fast. Hopefully he was able to get his mind straight and come back down to earth and, you know, try to piece it all together and and get back to reality. My only real complaint about this venue is the exit strategy. At the end of all three nights, we were forced to exit the building to the right and was forced right into this insane nitrous circus that was going on on the corner. It was just absolutely insane. You know, balloons everywhere, popping all over the place. It was so difficult to get an Uber because of all the chaos going on with that whole thing. You know, they're trying to call me to find us on the corner. And, you know, it was just, it was very, very difficult to maneuver around that and the amount of litter on the ground from those balloons was just so sad and for me personally if you want to do nitrous that's totally your call you know there is zero judgment here for me if that's what you choose to do but I feel like you should definitely not throw your balloons on the ground it's just disgusting and it's just not very cool so Please, if you're doing nitrous, just pick up after yourself. I mean, it's it's really not that hard. <laughs> um, and I don't know, maybe the only reason they were letting us go that one way is because they didn't want it going on on both corners. I don't know. But it was pretty it was pretty awful and it was an absolute clusterfuck trying to get our ride back to our Airbnb. And honestly, that's really my only complaint from the whole weekend. So and it's kind of like, whatever, you know, it, it can be a little difficult getting out of the show. Um, but, but yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of shitty. <laughs> um, I also did hear not to use the coat check before we went to the show. And I'm so glad we listened to that advice because the line at the end of each night looked awful to stand in to wait to try to get your jacket. And the line before night three was just as bad because, you know, it was sold out. So there's so many more people there. So I'm glad that we did not use the coat check. And for anybody that has not been to this venue and will be visiting this venue in in the future, um, I definitely recommend that you do not use the the coat check. 
I also wanted to send a huge shout out to Kyle Miller for hooking my husband and I up with tickets for this run. We decided last minute to do this literally right before my husband had to leave for a work trip. Kyle was amazing and went to the box office, not only for me, but for other people as well that needed tickets, and then mailed mine out to me so that I could get them in time before we left. I am so, so grateful for him taking the time to do that. It was also very nice to see him briefly and give him a big hug on night two. Thursday, of course, was Valentine's Day. Friday was my husband's 50th show, and Saturday was his birthday, so... I mean, come on, we had to go. It's only like six and a half hours from Buffalo. So definitely needed to go and glad we did. We did have to leave Saturday night right after the show so I could get my husband back in time for his flight on Sunday morning. And then I had to drive home to relieve my mother-in-law and step right back into the role of mom. A little rough. I will admit, but it was an amazing weekend, our first time in Brooklyn, and we were able to explore Manhattan on Saturday before the show. I had been to New York City back in 2007 for Mo New Year's at Radio City Music Hall, but I was only there less than 24 hours, so this time I was able to see some sights, Times Square, Rockefeller Center, Carnegie Hall, Central Park. We were also able to go to Strawberry Fields, where the Imagine Circle is for John Lennon. And we also went to the Dakota, the building where John Lennon was assassinated. You're able to stand right there, uh, you know, where it happened. And, you know, I took some pictures and I will admit it was a a little emotional. Um, I did get a little teary eyed. I I have goosebumps now uh, recording this and, and talking about that. It was sad. Um, and, you know, kind of eerie to be there, uh, be, you know, right where that happened. But I'm very grateful that we were able to go. It was, it was cool in, you know, kind of a weird way. And then that night, night three, they did the Tomorrow Never Knows, which for me was such a cool way to cap off this weekend. You know, we had just went around and seen all the sights of John Lennon's New York City and then that night they played that so it was very 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 awesome it was also very awesome that we got the spot the second night up on the balcony and this guy standing next to me introduces himself and come to find out it's a member of the Umfreak parents group and someone that also got tickets from the awesome Kyle him and his fiance were there from New Brunswick Canada and as of right now, they may be the only Canadian um freaks that I know. They were super awesome, and we wound up raging with them again on night three. Very happy to have got to meet them. So if you're listening to this, hey, Chris and Veronica, it was very awesome to meet you guys, and I'm looking forward to raging a show with you guys again in the future. And of course, it was nice to see Dave and Beth Levine. And Dave took some amazing photos during the weekend, per usual. And I will link those in the show notes so you can check them all out as well. Doom Flamingo did an after party on Saturday night. But as I mentioned, we were unable to go because my husband had to fly out of Buffalo on Sunday morning to Orlando for a work trip. So we left basically right after the show to get back in time. Like I said, it was pretty insane, but 100% worth it. 
So let's jump into recapping this amazing three-night run. There is a lot to chat about, that is for sure. Night one opens with Crucial Taunt, then Blue Echo that really begins to descend on its musical adventure after they bring it down for a minute, about five minutes in, and continues to journey on matter-of-factly throughout the entire jam, growing to a very mature jam and then coming back down to cool it off about 13 minutes before letting it rock one more time before bringing it to an end. Morning song, definitely not your typical Valentine's Day song, but I love when they play this, so no complaints at all about getting this one. Bridgeless Next that drops into improv about six minutes and starts out sounding eerie and sneaky. And when I was listening back to this in my mind, I felt like this would be the music if you're like trying to navigate through a dark and scary forest, really deeping, digging deep into the ambient eerie jam as it continues on. It does start to open up and we see some light as it switches gears and takes a more uplifting route. This bridge list will go unfinished for now and instead we hear the first signs of seasons poking its head through about 12 and a half in is the first time I start to hear it with it slowly growing more and more out of the jam. The segue into this is very cool, and I like what they did here with this, and also recently at the Portland Main show at the beginning of February, earlier in the month, they sandwiched seasons with the return of Sexy Phils. I think that putting this in there like that allows them to expand on the beginning of this song instead of, you know, just going into it really hard and it's very interesting to watch them experiment with this song and test it in different places of the set list over this past year of its life. Rocker Part 2 that was a quick write-in scratching out Room to Breathe. This song was a dedication to Bart and Umfreak who lost his battle to cancer the day before I believe or perhaps it was the night before um His benefit was still on prior to the start of night three to help raise funds for his family that now, unfortunately, you know, has all these medical bills that they have to deal with. There was, of course, sadness amongst the Umphreys community that first night, but no doubt there were many happy memories shared and a true celebration for life and all of its different chapters during this evening and the entire run, really. A reminder for sure that nothing in life is promised and that we need to just love each other fiercely every single day. After this one, Bayless mentions that they don't have a lot of love songs, but instead a lot of fuck you bitch songs, which I've listened to these songs and have directed some of them in my mind toward you know, exes. So maybe not fuck you, bitch, but definitely just fuck you (laughs) just along the whole thing. They decided to head into a cover of the Prince tune, I Want to Be Your Lover, to bring the love vibes as they closed out the first set. This being the sixth time that they have covered this one since its debut on October 28th, 2017.
This second set, for me personally, was by itself a highlight of the entire weekend. It opens with Ringo, and I want to give a quick shout out to the guy in the very beginning, right before this song starts, that yells, here we go. (laughs) I don't know. I just, it just makes me smile when I heard that, and honestly, that's how I feel when a set or a show is about to start. I'm just like, we are about to go on this amazing adventure, so everybody strap in. (laughs) This version that starts to sink its heels into improv a little after eight minutes in and begins to head into the jam slowly and safely at first, but then continues to grow and gain more maturity and energy. Stasic taking the lead with this jam about 13 minutes. You can hear it when they they come out of that first part of this with him coming out full force a little bit after 14 minutes. They play with going back into Ringo a little bit and this is where we see the YYZ by Rush tease. And also after that they start to step back into Ringo. Dayner's up next. I love the direction that this one goes in throughout the whole song. Stasic keeping that funk coming in hard in the beginning of this and throughout most of the song. This one heads into a sort of dreamlike state at the end, floating along, and then it starts to sound like a spacecraft coming into land and begins to immediately grow and gain serious balls as it morphs very strongly into 1348. This jam in this is a big, big highlight for me from this whole evening. The jam was very ambient in the beginning of it, and it continues on this lovely journey until about seven and a half in when it pivots and decides to head straight into a dance party for a little bit. Before changing direction again, a little after 10 minutes in, and then descends on this completely different journey, coming down and going back into the ominous, strong, and aggressive jam that started this tune, allowing it to once again grow back into the monster that is 1348. The Lanier comes next, and this really dives right into its jam about four and a half in. I specifically enjoy the direction of this jam that starts a little before six and a half minutes. This could most definitely be something in the future. I love the power, but also the gentleness that comes in this part. And I can see there being some beautiful Bayless lyrics peppered in there if this jam ever sees the light of day again. ETI by Blue Oyster Cult. Last time played February 4th, 2016, 281 shows ago. This is a song that I am not super familiar with, but honestly, I think I've seen Mo play this live. I did try to do some research, but could not find any information on whether or not Mo has ever covered this tune. If you are listening and you know that they have, please reach out to the show and let me know because now it's like bothering me (laughs) that I'm like convinced that I heard Mo cover this, but I can't figure it out. Uh, Sludge and Death 
comes next, which I think is the most appropriate of songs to be played on Valentine's Day. They've only done this tune 12 times, including this one here. Um, I'm lucky to have caught the last two, this one here, and then the last one they played at the Stone Pony in New Jersey at the end of June in 2018. Booth Love played on the ninth anniversary of the night that the song was debuted, February 14th, 2010, at the Rams Head Live in Baltimore, Maryland. And I will link that show in the show notes so you can check it out if you so choose. Bayless breaking through the jam about nine minutes in, and it starts off with what we soon realize will be him and Jake playing back and forth off of each other. And like I've mentioned plenty of times before, I can't help but just stand there and watch them when they do this. I just, every part of that I love. (laughs) They build this way up and then letting it spill out into the tail end of this jam where it steers right for the ending of Booth Love. And they bring back the unfinished bridge list that was from the middle of the first set to close out this second set. A very beautiful and emotional divisions, really giving everyone the feels, especially with the emotion in the room that evening with Bart's passing, who, I did not mention this before, I unfortunately did not get a chance to meet him in person, but I could still feel the sadness that those close to him were feeling that night. This gorgeous divisions that really made me even think about life and reflect on how far my life personally has changed since I first heard this song like 12 years ago. It This song just always, always hits me every single time. This version that features a Baba O'Reilly by the Hooties from Jake was honestly a really great way to end this first night of the run and Valentine's Day. Night two opened with Maybe Someday, another new one that they have been stretching and expanding a lot over this not even full year of its life. It has been very fun to watch this one grow and mature in such a short amount of time. Push and Pull comes next, and then Red Tape, which for me was a highlight of night two. I have been wanting to hear this song again live. I haven't seen one since 2010, so nine years is a pretty long time. This one begins to set off into its jam a little before four minutes in and starts out full of energy and hopefulness, continues to chug along and heads into a dance party, but it doesn't continue on that path. Instead decides to get a little ominous, but doesn't stick there either gaining more momentum and teetering back and forth between the dance party and the ominousness, almost unsure of the exact route that it would like to go, but I really like this. Bringing the jam around to head back into Red Tape, I love everything about this song and was absolutely thrilled that they played this. This one only saw two plays in 2018, October 19th and January 28th. 
I'm hoping that we do get to see that one at least once more this year. That would be awesome. Example one, which is always ridiculously fun, Night Nurse, to go along with the Day Nurse from Night One. And while I feel like they have had to done both of these tunes during a multi-run before, I cannot be totally sure, and maybe this is the first time we saw both of them in a run like this. Um, If anybody knows that information, please feel free to reach out to the show and let me know. All the contact info and where you can find the show on social media is all in the show notes. I really enjoy the journey that this jam goes on, specifically from about five minutes in until six and a half in, when they begin to set it down and kind of let it peter out before stomping into Little Gift. And I will say that Little Gift is a song that I'm usually not a fan of. I feel this way. I've brought this up about attachments before too. I hated it when it first came out. But what they do to these songs they expand, you know, the middle jam or the ending of it, and it gives you this newfound love of this song. And the way that they jam this version of Little Gift out, I'm I'm beginning to feel the same way about this tune for sure. The jam in this one begins to take shape slightly after three minutes in, first keeping with the focus from Little Gift, but does decide to head on its own path deciding first to go into a dance party, but does change direction and begins to unfold into a very meaningful and sexy jam about nine minutes. They just bring this down to end it and not forge it back into Little Gift, which I think is very interesting. Wife Soup up next, one that was scratched off the set list from night one. And What You Need, an in excess cover with Mike May... Mayer, I hope we said your name right, on trumpet, Chris Ott on trombone, and Dan White on tenor sax. The second time that this one has been done, debuted during the New Year's run this past year in Atlanta on the 31st with Mad Dog's Filthy Little Secret. I will link the other version in the show notes so that you can listen and decide which version you like better. I personally enjoyed the version from New Year's better, but this one is also good. And this cover closes out the first set of Night 2. Second set of this show is just absolutely out of this world. A five-song set. The jams featured throughout were so stretched and expanded, and because of that expansion, there were three songs scratched from the original set list, Dump City, as well as Cemetery Walk 1 and 2. This monster set opens with Plunger. This Hall of Fame-worthy version was also another big highlight from the night for me. The jam in this one drops right into a dark and dank place, really sinking deep into that vibe as it continues, taking on an ambient feel as well until it switches gears a little over 16 minutes in and there it opens up and this beautiful light shines through and moves it into a full of hopefulness uplifting jam this positiveness 
carries the end of this jam all the way through to the end where they let it continue to soar along until they bring it down, letting it linger and take it into turn and dub. That one dives really deep into its jam pretty early on into the song, only like two minutes in, continuing on until it sprinkles back into the song about five and a half. And at eight minutes is the Western type jam that first appeared in It Doesn't Matter at the Portland show on February 2nd. 100% revisited, and I will link that show in the show notes so you can listen to that jam as well. They switch gears and move it into a dance party with Joel leading the pack about 11 minutes, but not staying in that place for long, revisiting again that Western vibe jam. And since we've seen this jam twice now, I feel like we will see it again. And it'll be interesting to watch and see how that one transforms. They taper this one off to bring it to an end again. Very interesting that I felt like they did that, um, you know, a couple different times during this weekend. I know that some people uh, refer it to, quote unquote, uh, aborting a jam. That's not my favorite way to phrase that, but it's pretty spot on with a description. Um, And I just kind of feel like there were definitely times during the weekend that they just kind of let things kind of just taper off. Bringing the horns back out again to do a cover of the Little Feet tune, Fat Man in the Bathtub. This one was also covered for the first time during the New Year's Eve run on December 31st, also with Mad Dog's Filthy Little Secret. I also enjoy the debut version over this one, but again, this one is good as well. The version from New Year's Eve is also linked in the show notes, so you can listen to both of those and decide as well. Bad Friday, also with the horns, and this one, although was on the original set list, Bayless does call out Alex and Drina, I hope I said your name correct, for their shirts that said, don't play Bad Friday. Bayless mentions, don't poke the bear. (laughs) And I honestly don't know how anyone can be mad about this version. The horns offer a different dynamic to this song, them taking the lead on this jam at first, before it begins to melt away and the jam heads a different direction. Joel emerging out for a little bit to keep this dance party moving along nicely. It does come down and start to get a robotic interstellar vibe to it before deciding to change direction again. This one continuing to dance along until it slams back into Bad Friday. August to close out the second set. That begins with Stasic doing this sick and interesting Human Nature by Michael Jackson tease. The drummer from Talk, Isaac Teal, comes out to play alongside Andy. And Jake even goes back to hang with Chris for a little bit during this part of the jam. And although they had some company during this, Chris and Andy, I'm telling you, they're still killing it. And keeping whatever they were doing in 2018 alive and strong. And I'm all about it. Hell yeah. This jam just opens and explodes all over a little before seven minutes. Gliding back into August. 
And the ending, of course, featuring the bold and illuminating Bayless solo. Encore this second night, including an unfinished Much Oblige that does feature a small slight in the kitchen tease from what I heard. Although it's not noted on all things Umphreys, and I'm fairly certain that when you give this a listen, you will agree. It begins to take shape about the four minute mark to be specific. This version, as I mentioned, is unfinished. Instead, seeing it shift into a heavier jam, sliding back into Much Obliged briefly before transitioning into Kula to bring this night to a close. Night three included a VIP set that was earlier in the day and where you can listen to this as well as links for where you can listen to all of the shows discussed in this episode and the set lists so you can dig into them a little deeper are all in the show notes. This VIP set included Room to Breathe that was a scratch off from night one of this run. Stasic at the end mentioning the space to move around in the back, which is one of the things that I like about the VIP set, having uh, more room to dance on the floor. Um, I know some people like, you know, being in there with all the people, and sometimes it's a bit much for me personally, so I like the VIP sets because you have all this room to dance around. And there's no doubt that that was my buddy Kyle that he was mentioning I did see a photo that Umphreys had posted during the weekend from that VIP set, and Kyle is no doubt in the back dancing around. Very, very cool. Anchor drops next, then a number five that, in my opinion, is a Hall of Fame contender for sure. This one really sinking deep into the jam, about four and a half in heading off into the clouds at one point and then breaking through to have all of this very full of hope and life part of the jam is just bursting through with this light but crashes down a little bit before nine and a half in and quickly fills with aggression and authority but not for super long switching and going back to that hopeful jam from earlier but being much softer with it and then bringing aggressiveness one more time before letting this one float down and out and roulette next which before they go into it Bayless mentions that they don't play this one often and Chris really likes this one and I totally agree with both sentiments of that this one stings personally for sure the one time We decide not to do VIP because it was a last-minute trip and we were trying to do this as cost-effectively as possible. And they freaking played the song that I've been chasing the entire time that I've been seeing Umphreys. 12 years now, and I've never seen a roulette live. So when I saw that on there, I was just like, fuck. And I don't feel that way very often when I see things on set lists, but this was just, it, it, this one hurt, this one hurt. So, but I'm keeping my hopes up that I will get one this year. Fingers crossed, hoping for a roulette. 
Um, another thing that I really enjoy about these VIP sets is the banter between the songs. You don't get stuff like that during a regular show. So that's also another really cool thing about the VIP sets. The Fuzz, again, making an appearance in a VIP set. And Pay the Snucka to close this out. The show later that evening opens with 40s theme that dances right into the jam a little after four minutes in. And the first Bayless solo of the night starting to peek through a little before five and a half in to lead this jam along nicely. Preamble into Mantis. This one also dances into its jam with the help of Chris a little before six and a half minutes. Right when it transitions, about 10 minutes is the part of the jam that I am most into. Every time I've given this one a spin, I seriously just stop whatever I'm doing and dance so hard until they bring it down about two minutes later, only to have it come back to life and gain momentum to continue on, but they leave that mantis unfinished for now and head into Cemetery Walk 1, one of the tunes crossed off from the second set of Night 2 because of the length of the jams that they played. When it comes down to the last three minutes of this song, beginning with Joel just playing the piano and then Jake coming in and bringing this very tipsy, unstable but very sexy, clapped in, Derek and the Dominoes kind of vibe to it. At first, the ending of this growing and growing more and more, filling up higher and higher before it just drops down quickly, but it gets picked up right by Cemetery Walk 2, another tune scratched off from the set list the night before, this one just dancing right along, right out of the gate as always, coming down to dig deep into its jam starting about three minutes in. And when I hear this jam, I just kind of think of this massive aircraft almost, like just this massive like thing in the sky that is just dominating certainly a change from the dance party that this song started out with but this jam does head back in that direction and back into the song a little after eight minutes in and I love the ending of Cemetery Walk too when Joel is just playing I I just think it's so beautiful and awesome deeper coming up next followed by the Alibaba's original Kabump which I thought was interesting that they just bring this one to an end, I feel kind of abruptly, not segueing into Mantis at all, but allowing it to come back to be finished all on its own. They end this first set with an absolutely out of this world cover of Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. This version featuring Kanika Moore from Doom Flamingo on vocals and holy shit, that girl can sing. This cover that the band has done a total of 20 times, including this time here, first played on October 9th, 2003. This is the first time that they have featured a female on lead vocals. As far as I know, I did some quick research. I did not find anything else 
The only other time that they've played this with anyone uh, was at Red Rocks. I can't remember the year right off the top of my head, but Railroad Earth came out to play. Um, but this is the first time, as far as I know, that they've had, you know, the female and the lead vocals. And I love what she brought to this. Um, you know, the her own sexiness and everything. And I just love it. The power and the energy in that room during this. It was something else. It was very, very cool. And like I said, I know we're going to be getting more of that Zeppelin as we move closer and closer to Red Rock. So please keep it coming because I am very, very excited for that set at Red Rocks in June with Jason Bonham. And that cover closes out the first set. The second set, which I will say is for me the favorite set of the entire weekend, this one starts with a hurt birdbath sandwich with Tomorrow Never Knows from the Beatles in the middle there. And I was so happy to hear this one come out. Not only has it been 199 shows since they last played Tomorrow Never Knows, last covered December 4th, 2016, but also because my husband and I had spent part of Saturday discovering John Lennon's New York City, like I mentioned before. So to get this was a very nice little treat. This Hurt Bird Bath begins to take flight very early on, about three minutes in. They burst right into Tomorrow Never Knows, about the six-minute mark. I know I will always remember the exact moment that they went into this and the smile on my face and I just look over at my husband and I I was just like oh fuck yes like it was just very very cool it is noted on the set list that this tomorrow never knows is unfinished they instead instantly start to move back into hurt bird bath this jam starting to get a little eerie sort of having also an interstellar intergalactic undertone with a sneaky vibe over top of it this part of the jam is definitely hard to describe but I love everything about it I did add this one to my hall of fame list because I want to for sure come back and revisit this hurt bird bath sandwich again heading right into half delayed and then attachments coming up next, and I'm going to say it again, every single time I hear this song, I just think about how much I would love to hear Jen Hartswick sing this. I think that she would absolutely destroy this with that power she has behind her voice. I can just, ugh, I, it would be so amazing, and honestly, Every single time I think about it, even now talking about it, it just gives me goosebumps. Like, just thinking about her singing that song. It's just, ugh. Someday. Someday they will do it. Um, they do end, they do jam out the end of this as they've been since the first time they did it back in August. This jam felt a little lost in the beginning to me, but it does find its way and come back together about 10 minutes into the song. And while I really enjoy this, I felt that it was not the jam that we've seen after Attachments recently, but not terrible at all, but definitely not one that I feel, um, you know, really knocked it out of the park, but that's okay. My can't all be home runs. 
when they do bring this one down, they allow it to float and saunder into the floor. Another powerful song to put anywhere in a set list. Puppet String coming next. This one that I feel that some may see it on paper and think, oh, it's just Puppet String. But I can tell you every single time I have been deep in the middle of one during a show, it's not just a puppet string. It's an adventure. And I mean, yeah, you can say that about most of their songs, you know, when you are in it and it's it just takes you on this whole journey. But there's something about this song that when it's over, it's like a whole life-changing thing that has happened to you. You know, it's it's almost like a spiritual thing in a way, or, you know, it's a transformational, I feel. You are certainly changed after Puppet String, no doubt. This version that does feature The Chicken by Pee Wee LSTs, a song that I know nothing about, so I'm not sure where that tease comes in, as well as Safety Dance by Men in Hats tease. This jam that really comes into its own and find its its groove about five and a half in and the direction it heads a few minutes later, starting with Joel and then Brendan coming in to rip it open with Andy then stepping right in about eight minutes. This one comes down getting dreamy, leaving that puppet string behind for now and instead marching into the triple wide I loved the way that this started with it being so dark and you just hear them playing the beginning of the triple wide. And then when the song bursts open, you know, Waffle just bursts with the lights and it's always very, very cool. This one features Jake on keys and the direction that they take this jam after he heads over there a little after three minutes in continues on for like six minutes Joel and Jake both leading the jam hard into a dance party this triple wide we soon learn is the meaty center of a wonderful puppet string sandwich that closes out this second set what a seriously powerful and spirited way to end this amazing weekend and of course when Bayless just belts out the line are you prepared for what comes next it gets me every single time even even just saying it now and even when I say it in the intro to the show every single time it just it just gets me I just love you know love that love that line an encore was Remind Me with Bayless changing the lyrics to mention the naked guy in the bathroom that I mentioned earlier in the show. I personally can hear Soul Food 1 peeking its head out a little slightly after four minutes, although this is not mentioned on All Things Umfreeze, and I could totally be wrong, but I think it's there. It's small, and they transition into the next part of the jam, but it's there and I want you to take a listen and see if I am correct or maybe I'm just hearing things. Um, I just want to point out the fact that they raged the shit out of this song. The encore of a three night run that they absolutely slayed. And you could not 
tell at all that this was the last song of a three-night run. I I mean, this band, <laughs> I tell ya, just, I just, I just love them. I, every single time I go and I do a run and, you know, I, I listen back and I do this, all this stuff, it's just, man, I love them even more if that's even humanly possible, but that's definitely how I always feel. Seriously, do yourself a favor and listen to this entire run. You will not be disappointed at all. They are just on fire right now. Before we wrap up this week's pod episode, I wanted to quick mention that the results are in for the 2018 year in review survey conducted by Josh of Umfreaks Anonymous. And I wanted to congratulate Chris Myers for being named the MVP of 2018. Most definitely deserved and exactly who I voted for. If you've been listening to this show, you know exactly how I feel about Chris in 2018. The link for where you can read all of the results of this survey are in the show notes. Make sure that you check that out. And thank you to everyone that took the time to participate in the survey. And that's all I have for this episode of the pod. Anything that I reference throughout the show can be found in the show notes. And I encourage you to show out, check out the show's website as well. That information is in the show notes. There's a blog on the site, advertising information, where you can find any information about upcoming meetups, one convenient place where you can find all of the podcast episodes, and so much more. Any questions or comments about anything talked about in this episode, please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys and learning anything new about Umphreys or even podcasting. I am super new to this still and learning as I go, so always looking for advice. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you around these parts next week. Much obliged.